Welcome to the future of NFTs, brought to you by Adlunum, the first engaged to earn proof of attention IDO launchpad. Hosted by co-founder Natya Vester, we bring you exclusive insights on NFTs, the revolutionary digital technology that's transforming the world as we know it. Hey, Web3 World, this is Natya Besser from Adlunum, and you are listening to The Future of NFTs, the show that looks beyond current NFT use cases and dives what dives into rather what non-fungible token technology is evolving into. All of this as seen through the eyes and built by the minds of the fascinating guest speakers we speak to each week. Adlunum is the only IDEO launchpad that rewards attention with allocation, Our Engage to Earn platform features dynamic NFT investor profiles, NFT allocation fractionalization, and our one-of-a-kind proof-of-attention allocation mechanism. You can catch Future of NFTs live on Twitter Spaces every Tuesday and subscribe to our podcast for any episodes you miss out on. At Lunum's other show, Diving Into Crypto, is live every Thursday, same time, same place. So do join us for both shows as we speak to thought leaders and change makers in this game-changing industry. On to today. Very, very special guest today, because if you are familiar with the gamification industry, chances are that today's guest is someone you will have heard of. You might have watched his TEDx talk, Gamification to Change the World. If you haven't yet, bookmark it. It's real good stuff. He's been called the godfather of gamification, not hard when he's rated number one out of the top 100 gamification gurus year after year. But don't take my word for it. He has spoken at organizations such as Tesla, Google, Lego, Stanford, Yale, Oxford, various government organizations like the UK, Singapore, South Korea, Kingdom of Bahrain. As a gamification OG, his consultancy pedigree includes the who's who of the business world. Lego, Uber, Porsche, Walgreens, Microsoft, AIG Japan, Verizon, to name but a few. But although we will certainly tease out some nuggets of wisdom from him today on the topic of gamification, I'm very excited to be talking to Yukai Cho today about his first NFT project, Metablocks. Coming as he does from the field of gamification and behavioral design, topics on which he's an expert author and an international keynote speaker, Yukai is leveraging his many years of experience as the founding partner and chief creation officer of the premium consulting and design firm, the Octalysis Group, to translate his creation of the Octalysis framework into an obviously gamified Web3-focused project with Metablocks. Now, a little bit of context, I first came across the Octalysis framework years ago, and I've been a huge fan of Yukai's work ever since, but I'll let Wikipedia do my work for me in describing why Yukai's creation of the framework had such an impact on the gamification space, to the extent where his design work has empowered over a billion users' user experience. So, I quote, The Octalysis framework is a human-focused gamification design framework that lays out the eight core drives for human motivation. Human-focused design acknowledges 
that people, unlike machines in a system, have feelings, insecurities, and reasons why they want or do not want to do certain things, and therefore optimizes for their feelings, motivations, and engagement. Now, if you've been in the Web3 space for any amount of time, you'll know that this is absolute gold to any project's ears, really just reframing how to engage with community in a way that is meaningful, which is really the crux and the kernel of web, what Web3 community involvement is all about. So next part of the quote, the Octalysis framework is used in healthcare, fitness, education, training, company and product design to increase user engagement, RI, return on investment and motivation. So please join me in welcoming Yukai to the future of NFTs because today we are going to talk about how Wikipedia can now add Web3 to that already long list of industries applying Yukai's work. Hey, Yukai, where are you joining us from today? It's a pleasure to be here. Right now, I am in Taipei, Taiwan. I am in South Africa, and I came across this little tidbit of information that you, some part of your childhood was spent in South Africa. So, yeah. Nice. I'm saying hello to Cape Town on your behalf. <laughs> yes, I did live in uh, South Africa, Pretoria, when I was uh, two to eight years old. Well, uh, have you ever been back? Have you been back since? Yeah, I went, I went back to uh, uh, Johannesburg and Pretoria about five, six years ago. You should definitely come make a stop in Cape Town. Well, the weather is absolutely perfect. I just came from Europe where it's extremely cold. And now this change of seasons, immediately down with the flu, but very appreciative for the fact that I don't have to wear thick jackets, but can just enjoy myself, summer, sun, see all the good stuff. Yeah, it's a beautiful country and uh, very, very uh, comfortable and warm to live there. All right. Well, before I hand over to you, Kai, I'm just going to add a little bit more to his already very impressive resume because he's, in fact, no stranger to the Web3 space. He's uh, formerly the head of Creative Labs as well as the head of digital commerce for HTC, where he's pioneered innovation in VR, AR, and the metaverse. In addition, he's also served as the chief experience officer of the blockchain company Decentral, where he teamed up with Ethereum co-founder Anthony Dorio. And Yuka is also an investor in and an advisor to various Web3 companies. So let's jump right in to hear what Yuka is building with Metablocks and what he thinks of the future of NFTs. So Yuka, you seem to often find yourself at the periphery of cutting edge trends. In 2013, very few people had heard of gamification, yet that's when you started building your epic career. In 29, in the early days of social, you co-founded Virology Inc., a gamified social media influencer ranking system, which I especially enjoyed reading about because it shares certain similarities with Adlunum's Engage to Earn platform and our proof of um, attention allocation mechanism. And now here you are applying NFTs to human memories of all things. What about you makes you get into stuff that most people only hear about 10 to 20 years later? I think part of it is my upbringing in uh, growing up in a variety of different countries. So when you are 
moving around uh, in different countries, different cultures, you do start to see how uh, how things could be different. You know, what's polite and, and correct in one country might be uh, offensive or wrong in another. And that makes you constantly think about, okay, well, if everything's a variable, how can things be better, right? A lot of people who grew up in the same environment, they feel like this is just how human society is. This is just how uh, people are, society, politics, govern bureaucracy, and there's no way to change it. Uh, but when you see these are all variables, you can start thinking more, quote unquote, outside the, uh, the box. And so w- one experience I have been seeing is as I go to a variety of countries, because again, I started uh, working in gamification in 2003, right, almost 20 years ago. So of course, there's, there were 10 years that it's completely crazy. And then maybe around 10 years of still really, really strange or different and uh, being adopted. But sometimes I'll go to a country and I'll talk to them about the latest innovation, let's say in Silicon Valley or where we're not. And they'll say, oh, I, I, I really like there's these case studies out there in the U.S. and somewhere, but it doesn't fit into our, our, our culture. It wouldn't work in this country. And I've come to realize that when they say that, it basically just means that, yeah, they'll do it eight years later. And because if you look at any innovation, it's kind of hard. It's kind of strange also, right? You know, Uber sharing a car with, uh, with someone else, kind of weird. Airbnb, the internet was super weird. Blockchain, technology, NFTs, all of these things are super weird. Gamification. And most, of, most countries are like, well, we don't get it. This doesn't work for us. But then eight years later, people start doing it. So I think when you start to move around, you get to see what is on the horizon. What are the problems we're facing today? What are the technology trends that are kind of just uh, popping up left and right? And then you can start to synthesize, all right, what, how do we use the new technology that wasn't available five years ago to solve the problems we're facing today? And I think that's how you stay at the cutting edge of innovation. Yeah, brilliant. I my son is also like you, someone who travels the world, and I really see the difference in my own upbringing as someone who was brought up in one single country to him who is in a different country every couple of months, and just the way that it shapes your level of thinking. As you say, everything is a variable when all of the conditions that you find yourself in are constantly changing. But I think something you touched on that's really, really important to highlight is. This idea of, you know, Silicon Valley is the one sort of moving and shaking trends on the horizon, whereas now in Web3, we see that innovation is coming from countries that traditionally, even in the tech space, didn't get as much attention. Uh, Asia, for example, in many ways, Asia has been leading in terms of Web3 development. Uh, and that is something uh, we can talk about this from a variety of aspects, whether it's regulation Uh, that are perhaps, you know, more sort of overbearing in countries like the US. But at the same time, really just this level playing field that Web3 offers in that people, no matter their geographical location or the fact that they can move around the world or not, but can all kind of make use of the same opportunity at the same time. But I am really curious because I always enjoy hearing people's NFT origin stories. So what is yours? How did you get into this technology? Okay, so I wrote a book called Actionable Gamification, uh, published around, I think, 2015, and uh, sold a little over 100,000 copies and uh, saw that uh, a lot of people in the Web3 blockchain space was interested. So that's how I got uh, 
the opportunity to work with the uh, one of the co-founders. I actually work with two separate co-founders of Ethereum. There are six of them in total. Um, but one of them was Anthony Diorio, and I was chief experience officer, I think 2017 or 18, uh, to work on the blockchain wallet. And that was my first professional work into the blockchain space. Now I've you know, invested in Bitcoin since I think 2013 a little bit, 14 a bit. Um, those obviously worked out uh, pretty well. And and then afterwards, I suddenly get a lot of companies and uh, people approaching me with Web3 projects. And I didn't know this, but uh, apparently my book became a very popular read in the Web3 NFT space. And I didn't have all of this NFT world in mind when I wrote my book. It didn't really exist back then. Uh, but, you know, I got very curious about nfts i think most people when they start seeing nfts it is again a very curious thing why are these uh these jpegs these images whatnot worth so much and so i started applying my octalysis framework uh by the way i'm known for this thing the octalysis framework it's octagon analysis breaks down all human motivation into these eight core drives so we can talk about that uh now or later you can find it online so i was using the octalysis framework to uh, to decipher, okay, what is it about NFTs that people love so much? And I broke it down to three of those eight core drives. So scarcity, um, meaning, and also uh, community. So that's core drive uh, basically six, one, and five. So scarcity, I think most of the audience knows about the you know the scarcity in terms of your you have a serial number. Actually, when I when I talk to my my uh, friends who don't believe in NFTs. Uh, the way I kind of explain to them is this, that, you know, again, I've sold about 100,000 uh, books out there, but they're fungible. People just want the knowledge. They just want the text, uh, the meaning behind the text. So, you know, the digital books just as good. The e-books just as good. Uh, Audio books just fine. Uh, it doesn't matter if people swap it around. But in my life, I've signed maybe three to 400 books, and those books are non-fungible. So even if people trade, it's not the same. I wrote different things in it. I wrote it a little differently. And so NFTs allow basically digital versions of things to have higher meaning. You can establish a higher meaning with the artist you like, a musician, or a project that you believe in, like women empowerment. And so that's the scarcity component, that the serial labeling is there. Each one is unique and non-fungible. But the issue is that you still have to trust the developers a lot on this, right? Because developers, they can issue more of these NFTs uh, anytime they want. You know, hey, this project is very successful. Let's let's uh, mint another uh, 20,000. Let's mint another 20,000. So it's almost like the U.S. government can you know, print out more money, uh, fiat money. And so you just have to trust them to keeping the scarcity. The second component is meaning. And so if something is scarce but it has no meaning, then it's still not very valuable. And an example I give is I have a friend in Denmark, and he owns a very broken and uh, rugged couch. And even though it has no uh, cosmetics, it has no utility, he cherishes it greatly because it used to be owned by Winston Churchill. And in his mind, Winston Churchill is a war hero. So, so therefore, it has a lot of meaning uh, behind this, this pretty broken item, this, this couch. And so when you look at NFT projects, you want to know what is the meaning? Is it the artist? Is it their background? Again, is this a movement that you care about? And then finally, it's the community part, Core Drive 5, social influence and relatedness. If my friend was the only person who cared about Winston Churchill, sure, the, the couch would be very valuable to him, but he probably can't uh, liquidate and, and sell to someone else. But if there's a whole community of 100,000 people all uh, caring about Winston Churchill, then he can probably... 
uh, sell the couch to someone else to who can sell it at a higher price to someone else. So once you have this, this three components, scarcity, purpose, and uh, community, purpose and meaning in community, uh, then you have uh, the core foundation of what makes NFTs valuable. And then you kind of think about what are the utilities. So that's really what pulled me into the, uh, the Web3 NFT world, advising on projects, designing tokenomics, because I used to do that for game economies anyway. And um, yeah, and now eventually got into the new Metablocks project. Oh, absolutely fantastic examples you gave. I mean, first of all, the difference between books being fungible, but then your signed copies being non-fungible because there is this particular value to it that people can agree on that there's just more value to this. Even if, you know, to someone who doesn't know you, doesn't know your work, that signed copy might not mean anything. I think what you touched on in terms of these three core drives, we have moved or we seem to be moving from this trend of scarcity, which of course is what drew so many people, uh, you know, throughout the world to NFTs in the first place, because there were all these huge gains to be made because of the scarcity factor. But now really, I think that to the fore, especially in a down market where Scarcity is not really something that draws people anymore because there needs to be value attached to There's not monetary value. Then the question is, what is their value in? And I think this is really the trend that we are seeing now, uh, which is surely a good thing. Yes, so uh, I, a lot of the talks I do is about no, no, how do you imbue. Uh, yep. Yeah, so a lot of the talks I do in NFT conferences about how do you imbue uh, purpose and meaning into your NFT project. You know, why is humanity better uh, 20 years later because of your project? Uh, because if, if you don't have that meaning and purpose in, in place, then everyone's there just because they believe they can get rich in four months. And of course, that's not sustainable. And uh, as you know, in a Dow market, those people tend to realize, oh, we can't be rich in four months. And that's when they abandon these projects. Yeah, it's very, very well said. Um, so I'm keen to get into Metablocks. I have to admit that I was super excited that I saw you announce that you're getting into NFTs because I have a huge amount of respect for the work you've done elsewhere with gamification. Now, Metablocks offers users the opportunity to own real-world places as NFTs powered by real-life memories. You state that your mission is to preserve humanity's most important memories. So please tell us how are you doing this? And I would love to hear how you are incorporating the Octalysis framework into the building out of Metablocks. Yeah, so basically the this beginning of Metablocks is one I wanted to, uh, well, first of all, it's my co-founder, CEO June, that I've worked with for many, for a couple of decades, I guess. Uh, he he was uh, at Google, and he told me that hey, you know, Google is starting to charge uh, Google uh, charge money for Google Photos, and he was reminded, yeah, these things all live on a single server. So thirty years later, you know, Google can shut down Google Photos anytime they want. They could possibly go out of business, or maybe his grandchildren just wouldn't want to pay for grandpa's Google Photos for the rest of their lives. And in that case, all his memories that are recorded would just disappear and be gone. And, you know, before year 2000, we had a lot of physical photos. When you visit grandma's home, you'll have, see all these physical photos. Nowadays, almost all our memories are, are digital. And so he wanted to see if there's a way to, um, to have a, not have a single failure point on either Google Photos, Google Drive, or Dropbox. And so he came to me and, and talked about it. And so, of course, 
because of the time I've spent in the Web3 world, I realized, hey, blockchain is probably actually a great, great use case for this application. And so, and I started thinking about it from a gamification design standpoint, experience design, about how do we fulfill the scarcity, the meaning, and the community aspect of things. And so we saw that, okay, well, in terms of scarcity, what is um, what is scarce in the real world, right? It's gold and real estate. But getting gold is fungible. Yeah, our, we, my gold, your gold, we can trade, doesn't really matter. But real estate is non-fungible. My place, your place, they're totally different. Uh, even if they're exact same dimensions, we have different, again, memories of these locations. I had my ch- first child at my, my home. You maybe graduate college from your home. And so they all represent different things. And so, so we, so what we did with MetaBlocks is we divided up uh, the world a few cities at a time. So San Francisco, Miami, Singapore, New York, and uh, so these cities. And we we uh, divide up all these we call them blocks into NFTs. So people can own these NFTs almost like a gamified monopoly game. And these NFTs generate what we call meta rent on a daily basis. And you go and collect them, and they do certain things as uh, as part of the game loop. But then the second part is the most important, which is the, the purpose again. It's about preserving memories, right? So the purpose of it is to, we want to preserve a lot of memories onto the blockchain. So the way you level up these NFTs, these blocks, and make it more valuable and have it generate more meta rent and all these resources is that uh, you or other people uh, want to uh, submit, upload, uh, memories related to that location. So as you upload memories to that location, then it begins to um, then it begins to level up the blocks and and then record it onto the blockchain. So of course we're, some of that is still roadmap. We haven't done all of all of the things I've described yet. Uh, but the goal is that we want to incentivize people to constantly improve their NFTs, their properties, and uh, in, and level up. And the way they do that, it's instead of running or instead of killing monsters or picking carrots, uh, they're uploading me- uh, memories that are related to the location. So that's basically the project we're doing with MetaBlocks. Uh, we're still early and we're still learning. I think uh, my my co-founder, June, he's the CEO. So he guides a lot of the company direction. And for me, I think about the long-term experience, how to create a sustainable game loop that's not about uh, you know, suddenly exploding like crazy and then exploding to its death. Um, so because when you look into the Octos framework, there's what we call white hat gamification design and black hat gamification design. And black hat is a lot more about creating urgency, obsession, even addictiveness. And it gets people to like just jump on and, and, and behave like, like there's no tomorrow. Uh, but, but then people burn out after three to eight months and they don't want to come back. And this is what a lot of companies are doing. And you've seen projects face that, that exact consequence I, I talked about. And then there's white hat motivation design, which is about, you know, it makes people powerful in control. They feel good, but there's no sense of urgency because they can do it anytime they want. So, so it's, but it's long lasting. It doesn't have the immediate buzz. It doesn't have the immediate like spread like wildfire, but people feel good. It's meaningful. It's sustainable. And so we're really betting on the long haul. We bet, we believe that, you know, uh, 10, 15 years later, we don't know if people are going to be playing the same NFT games or not. We don't know if people are going to like the same NFT um, PFPs or animals or not. But it would be unthinkable 
uh, that in 10, 20 years later, people will stop caring about meaningful memories in the in their real lives, where they had their first child, where they where they proposed to their uh, to their wives, where they uh, where they had a lot of big events that, that, that happened, and also the location they that happened. Uh, that where these big events happen. So these things will always be important in people's minds, and we want to combine that to timeless technology, which is the blockchain. So these are the th ways we kind of incorporate uh, a lot of these concept ideas and game design into MetaBlocks. Awesome. Thank you so much for that really great uh, summary of what MetaBlocks does. What came up for me, as you said, this gamified monopoly, but also coupled with almost an Instagram kind of approach, because, I mean, people... We live in a world where people really like to display in some sense, not necessarily. I mean, we come from this sort of era where, you know, keeping up with the Joneses and I need to look like I'm a bigger influencer than the person next to me. But I mean, I think at the core, this sense of community that unites us, where we want to feel like we're part of the human family. And this is really what I'm hearing and what you're saying is that not only about memories, but it's also for people to have ability to give their own meaning to a shared physical location, which is a very novel concept, what you said about, I, I'm familiar with the black hat and the white hat motivations. Um, and in Web3, I mean, this is really what has been driving the industry is the sense of urgency and, you know, buy now or forever, forever hold your peace. You're not going to make the big gains if you don't invest in this project and, so few of those projects over the years have really come to fruition. I mean, if I look at so many of the companies that I've worked with over the years, I don't know how many of them still exist. And the long-term game, game plan here is to understand what people want, need, and then to build a solution for that instead of applying this blanket sort of Web3 okay, I'm just going to Web3ify everything because this is the hottest new trend. So I'm curious, coming from the professional and the personal background, what is unique about your approach to uh, creating NFTs? Uh, I think it's really about uh, how are you balancing those eight core jobs? Again, there's well, again what we said: white hat, black hat motivation design. And there's also like a left brain versus right brain core drives, and uh, so once more extrinsic motivation, once more intrinsic motivation. And when you look at people who are designing game loops, gamification, tokenomics, uh, and some of it is lack of skill, some of it is just not uh, not knowing what's there, but the challenge is is how do you balance it for long term, short term, and you know attract them with a reward versus giving them an enjoyable experience. So what I think what's really different is we 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 are actually looking at the long haul, ten, twenty, thirty, forty years. We talk about um, you know in, in our internal discussions, we're talking about okay, you know how do we preserve it to our to our kids and even grandchildren. I think very very few. Uh, projects actually have internal discussions that that are that are making decisions on things that far away, um, and this is why we chose Arweave as a technology provider to put things on the blockchain, because you know there's a few solutions out there, IPFS, 
But IPFS, for instance, charges a very small amount of storage space fee um, to, to keep things around. So we thought, okay, if you're trying to keep these things on there forever, that cost is going to add up. Where our weave is more about uh, there's a small upfront fee, but then it can stay there forever without paying more. So we were making these decisions based on what, you know, if this is going to stay there forever, if we want this to be around forever, what, what should we do? And I think that's a pretty unique thing that we're trying to do as far as I, can, I know about NFT projects. Yeah, Yuka, I think, you know, what you are touching on, this idea that in Web3, the short-term gains, the short-term attention, the short-term hype, having received all the attention, this is what attracts people in the now, but it doesn't keep them in the long run. And I think with every down market, we see this trend that the industry is maturing and people are getting to the point where, you know, they are get, getting slightly fed up with this wild roller coaster where it's it's just a psychological nightmare to be in this industry sometimes because there's ups and downs and ups and downs, but it doesn't always feel like things are really moving ahead in a way that is sustainable. So I'm curious because we live in this crazy, beautiful, but at times wildly frustrating world where we are always on, people are constantly chasing the next big thing. So you said that what really matters and what will not change is this idea of people wanting to preserve memories. Why is that so significant in this world that we live in today where things are always changing and the you know bright, shiny object syndrome is on everyone's minds? And what do you think can NFTs do for memory preservation where existing technologies is lacking, of course, the decentralization aspect that you mentioned uh, is a very huge uh, incentive. But are there also other benefits that a technology like NFT has that the Web2 technologies uh, just simply don't offer us a good long-term solution? I think that's a great two-part question. So I think memories are important because it represents who we are right there's this thought experience of hey if you if you wake up and you, if you're if i'm born today but you're installed a lot of fake memories you would not feel comfortable with that right because you want to know what are your real memories who you are and it doesn't matter what you have right now if when you have watched these movies with anyone with amnesia the first thing they want is they want to get back their memory it doesn't matter how how rich they are afterwards it doesn't matter how happy they are they just want to know where they came from, who they are. And I think our identity is going to be important no matter what and where we came from. I think that's a innate human need to understand this. Um, and, you know, we, we kind of joke around internally saying, you know, when, when the government wants to preserve a memory, quote unquote, forever, they have to create a national holiday or they have to create a whole monument, uh, a, a landmark, to, to uh, remember this forever. And so what we want to do with Metablocks is democratizing that process where every location, every digital block can have memories that are worth remembering, you know, even if it's not, because we've, we've made it so much easier to preserve the memory because of blockchain technology, you know, you can only have that many holidays, you can only have that many monuments, but now we can we can preserve a lot more. Hey, this is the uh, a well known local chef, and this is where he he did his first uh, big gig. 
right? This is where Michael Jordan practiced basketball, or this is where just, you know, my cousin did this. So everywhere there's something that's worth remembering, and that's what we're trying to preserve there. So I think, again, meaning, uh, having meaningful projects uh, is important, and I think preserving memories is one of the most important things. And we talked about how blockchain technology and being decent- decentralized is what the so far what we know of is the best technology to preserve that. But of course, the Web3 technology has uh, also a huge amount of advantages and a lot of different things, right? In terms of the interoperability where, uh, and, and a lot of it's still, again, just where the industry is going and how it's going to fall, who's going to be the players. Uh, we're not sure. As people keep talking, that's very, very early. It's true, like you said, it's like a roller coaster. But I think, when it's a down market, it feels like it's getting nowhere, but uh, it's the same as the cryptocurrency market, right? Now it feels like a down market. Everyone's feeling bad about me, like my family, my relatives are all feeling bad about me owning, owning cryptocurrency because it's such a terrible market. It dropped from 60,000, 20,000. But I keep having to, remi- have to, having to remind them, like, if I told people, you know, we're, we're going to the bear market that's that's at $20,000 per Bitcoin. Uh, and I told that to people two, three years ago. They think I'm crazy because 20, uh, three years ago, two, three years ago, 21000 was the crazy, crazy high spot. And it dropped all the way down to 3000 And And so I bought all in all those ranges, right? And so now the lowest point is actually the craziest high point two years ago. That's like someone telling you, hey, two years later, there's going to be a like a devastating bear market and the bitcoin price will drop to seventy thousand dollars and everyone's going to be depressed and they're saying we're getting nowhere the industry is like falling apart you'd think that person's like pretty crazy and very optimistic right and so i think it is continuously growing and go and growing but i think there is that emotional roller coaster that you just have to uh that you just have to sustain and you have to recognize where the true value is at the true value like i said the blockchain the interoperability when you have something uh, whether it's a signed digital good, right, by your favorite athlete, it's like a jersey being signed, but it's digital, or your favorite musician, or something you you believe in. I think having that there, and you know it's there. So even even when they rug, because think about this, with Web two projects, when a company quote unquote rugs you, which means they shut down, maybe because they just don't want to deal with it anymore, or they just take money and run. They shut down the company, they shut down the servers, everything's gone, right? With Web3, when it's rug, you still actually have the assets. Not, of course, people shouldn't rug. I also find it very amusing that people are saying, hey, we don't trust the government, we don't trust the big banks, but we trust three anonymous developers out there with the white paper, right? It's kind of, kind of funny there. Um, but, um, you know, and for Web3, the things that you get, they can be used in other places. So we're looking at more and more partnerships being formed. Getting an NFT from this project and you take it to another NFT, you'll have benefits. You'll have joint utility. Going to an offline event, you can actually it, it acts as an access pass. You know, uh, People call it token gating. I think most people understand the idea of access passes more easily. Uh, you just go in there and you, and you do that. And so I think that part is very, very, very valuable. And so there's a lot of applications that suddenly became possible. Now, there's a lot of inefficiency. And I think the, uh, the projects, the user experience is not very smooth and delightful yet. It's very confusing for the common person. Just like back in the day, you know, 
when people are doing working on the internet, it's it's just confusing with the dial up. Even today, right? You know, all doing all the TC ICP or all that stuff. Like people are just it just confuses people. Um, but then there's a seamless experience, seamless experience that just was laid out over time, and that's when the industry matures. Right now, there's a lot of promise in the blockchain, but it's kind of crowded by all the greed, both from scammers that run projects and also from consumers who hear that their neighbors got rich so they just want to jump in so they can get rich too i think that creates a lot of distraction to the healthy growth of the industry but i think you know just adding on to what you are saying it's really the proliferation of companies and projects now starting up going you know what i'm not only in it for the short-term gains because they're bringing with them users who perhaps are not currently in web3 but because of these new ways of thinking about these technologies, they are onboarding these people in a way that doesn't make the focus, the gain, the scarcity, the, okay, it's only this limited amount of time and then, you know, you lose your chance forever. But it's more changing the way that projects think about things that is also leading to changing the way that users think about things. But I absolutely loved what you said, the example you gave earlier uh, with Metablocks. Because it really just made me think of this like global collaborative process of people just, you know, loving on a particular place in space and time. Uh, I, yeah, as I travel, I love urbex. And so one of the th thoughts that co constantly come into my mind is you explore these places that are now abandoned and they have so many stories to tell, but you don't know what they are. And so you might find some, you know, reference on the internet by one person, but you don't even know if that's true or not. So I want you to time travel with me a little. Project us into, let's say, the history class of the future, uh, 50 to 100 years from now. No idea what the world's going to look like then. But anyway, how do you envision that Web3 technologies w could change our relationship with the past? And specifically in terms of audiences. At the moment, we are focusing only on this one sort of audience group. But right now, there are so many audience segments that are not aware of Web3 or not knowledgeable about Web3. A project like Metablocks, how could that change the way that people interact with the past, with memories, and of course, with this technology as well? Yeah, I'm going to first say that when you talk about 50, 100 years, that's a, such a far away date that even I will say that I'm completely unqualified to, to make any comment on that. We really can't understand our process, what's going to happen even 50 years uh, later. If you look at 50 years ago, right, that's the 1970s. And the, the computer didn't exist. I don't think anyone could have imagined Web 1, Web 2, Web 3 social networking, VR, when they've never seen a computer. Um, and so, and as you know, technology is growing at accelerating speed exponentially. And so 50 years from now, definitely would have no idea. But at least with the, uh, and I think at that point, we're, talk, we're probably talking about Web 10, you know, Web 12, which we will have no idea what that means at this moment. Um, but I think... And at least this, the hope is because you brought up, brought up Metablocks, you know, there will be a lot of things where people like, oh, well, 50 years ago, there's these things and some of them are uh, recorded. But, you know, most of these companies 50 years ago shut down. So they're lost 
in the in the ether space or whatever they're going to be calling it. Probably not because of Ethereum. Uh, it's all gone. It's all lost. But the projects that are on the blockchain, you know, a lot of them still exist. People still know. People can see what it is. It's the archive of what happened in in these few decades, right? And you know, you have the Wayback Machine these days that people rely on. That's that's just one big server, right? They crawl the internet and they save a copy of that in a in a big server. That could be that could be torn apart if there's a tsunami somewhere or whatnot. So I do think Web three may not be the most mature technology, or it's not going to be the the most useful technology fifty years later. But the hope is that because of Web three, people can see what happens, what happened. In our daily lives and what we do, that record keeping will be there,、uh, and I think maybe even historically there'll be a gap, right? There's a gap between you. Oh, you can find a lot of archaeology, right? You can find the books people read, and then suddenly it's all on a Kindle, on an iPad, on a computer, on a on a hard drive. And now when the hard drive's destroyed, you can never retrieve. So there might even be like a twenty, thirty year, thirty year gap where no one knows what's the content that's that's been flying around there. And and then Web three comes about, and suddenly people can see, oh, those are the. <laughs> It would be funny if they if they don't see the high quality、uh, visuals and animations, but they can see all the JPEGs and NFT projects. Like, oh, those are the the、uh, the NFTs, or these are the artwork people do. And I know, as you all know, some of the most、uh, well established NFTs have pretty silly artwork on it. Uh, it's endearing, but a bit silly, and that would be a funny thing for people to look back on.、Uh, I think if we look at a three to five year window, I think it will be a lot more seamless. I think it will be、uh, friendly. I think people, maybe five eight years later, people won't even call it Web three anymore. They just call it using the web. Just like no one, no one, no one really used the term Web two or Web two point zero anymore for I think ten years. The, the the only reason why people said Web two again is because Web three came about, right? Web two just became the web; it just became things you use. And I think that's where Web three is going, where people don't realize that it is using special blockchain technology. It just powers stuff; it just works; it's just good; it's just decentralized. And、um, and if you look at things like the the new Starbucks loyalty program, Star、uh, Starbucks Odyssey. You know they've they're introducing Web three components to it, but they're not really、uh, calling it all, using all those jargons. So I think that's where the future is going on that. Yeah, absolutely great answer. You made me think when I started my career in digital marketing, as it was called back then. I mean, today it feels really silly to even be using this term because today, of course, all digital,、uh, of course, all marketing is in some sense digital. It's very difficult to find. Completely offline marketing.、Um, so, I want to get back to the Octalis framework, eight core drives, white hat and black hat core drives, game techniques. This is a question I have been dying to ask you. What can Web three and NFT, the NFT community, learn from gamification and the Octalis framework in terms of what is it doing well and where can it improve in terms of user and investor experience? Yeah, when I started seeing a lot of these NFT projects, I felt a lot of it is the Acor drives and Octalysis just kind of being on steroids. When you look at how the discords are run, when you look at the mystery box designs, you know a lot of NFT projects. When you purchase, you don't even know what it is. There's going to be a reveal. 
So it's a, these are just gamified. This is Core Drive 7, unpredictable curiosity design. There's uh, Easter eggs. There's these quest lists to get on a very scarce uh, whitelist. And I, what, what blew my mind away is that people are doing all these actions to get on the whitelist. Like, I'm noticing they're doing marketing, bringing people in, doing all this work. And I'm like, oh, so they get, like, they get compensated with free NFTs. No, they get, their compensation is that they get to be on a whitelist that gives them the permission to pay full price for the NFTs. I'm like, wow, that's, that's pretty crazy, right? You work, you work for a company for the right to buy their products at full price. And, uh, and so all that stuff has been pretty crazy. And but we know from the Octalis, which is based on the Octagon. So like we talked about the top are white hat, the bottom are black hat, the left side are left brain, which is extrinsic motivation. The right side are right brain, which deals with uh, intrinsic motivation. If you look at a lot of that, it's a lot of extrinsic motivation design with uh, giving people rewards, right? Dangling rewards come uh, in the, bear, uh, the bull market projects of giving out free Teslas. And then a lot of black hat motivation, driving urgency. And then you're seeing some projects that are, you know, more just purely white hat, purely intrinsic. And some, and a lot of them are very small communities because there's no urgency and they're not giving out free Teslas. So there's a small community of people passionate about it. But oftentimes these projects don't sell out or they don't, um, or they don't have uh, monetized. They don't grow fast enough to be, uh, to be exponential and the, the founders become discouraged. I think the key, again, is to create that balance. When do you have white hat? You create an overall white hat environment. So people want to work with your project. They're inspired by the meaning and purpose. They transition to the black hat when you're minting, when there's like short bursts of activity. So there's a bit of uh, scarcity. There's a bit of um, like curiosity, unpredictability, maybe a bit of FOMO. So people do this one-time action to be part of your project. And then you move back to that intrinsic, where it's, it's just enjoyable to be there. You're using your creativity. There's a lot of user-generated content. You're using uh, social, you're, you're having social emphasis relatedness. So the community makes it very easy for people to express appreciation for each other. Having group quests are very helpful. And you continue to maintain that unpredictable curiosity well, for people to feel like, hey, I'm, you know, every day is a new journey adventure. So I think Web3 projects can absorb a lot of these uh, principles in the Octalis framework to make it more engaging, both long-term and short-term. Um, I think they're doing a great, they're doing a very, uh, I wouldn't say great job thus far, but they're doing a pretty strong job. I want because I say that because a lot of it is really on the black hat stuff. I think the black hat extrinsic was, was really like being pushed on steroids. Um, they're doing a strong job so far, but I think in order to make it a great job, I think they need to learn how to transition and balance with the white hat and intrinsic. So I'm curious then, because you've worked with everyone from pre-seed startups to some of the world's leading conglomerates. In terms of approach to audience, onboarding, user retention, and other factors, who is going to own Web3 or just the web, as we'll refer to it in future? Is it going to be Web3 native projects or is it going to be existing multinationals that we are now seeing coming into Web3? Uh, you are right. I, I work with a lot of both native Web3 projects and a lot of conglomerates trying to, and not everyone has revealed the project yet, but everyone, every a lot of large conglomerates want to also get into Web3. I mean, it makes sense, right? It's 
is the future of the web and and the web is where everyone's at and if you also include a lot of the, what's going on with the metaverse and whatnot so i i think who's going to be the winner is unclear i think there are going to be and this is not going to be answer a lot of people like the dominant players uh that are strong and they have a lot of money these days especially the, the they already have a strong network they will probably continue to continue to have great influence over web3 um you know even though web3 is created to be like hey everyone can overthrow the established uh established entities uh, i think some people get moved up there but the established entity notice it and they come into web3 and they still have the connection the resources the ability to pull celebrities into and influencers and so um and so they they will probably still remain in power a lot of them some of them are crippled because of covid some of them don't innovate fast enough some of them talk about innovation but they keep sabotaging themselves internally uh but the some really established ones i think will still become powerful um some are the you know talk about sort of breaking the wheels it's just rotating the wheel just everyone that takes turn going on top some of the new guards of web3 will probably unless they make some huge huge mistake you you've seen some huge entities in at least the cryptocurrency world just basically implode and melt overnight right so sometimes you can make a big mistake or just literally use unsustainable design like a lot of some of that you just see it coming um but some of them will melt but some of them the new guards they'll be more established um yuga labs i think if they don't make any huge mistakes they're probably going to be strongly strongly established in the industry they can purchase a lot of strong players they can create partnerships that everyone wants to agree to so and this is this is how the real world's at right it's basically success breeds success you know everything's a booster so you you do this you get twice as good and you get to work with others people who are twice as good and then you use leverage that to get you snowball effectiveness and then like, the good thing is also just like any world in innovation and startups new players can rise to new startups with one or two people um google was doing youtube videos or uh, google videos but youtube came about and it beat google videos so google had to buy youtube you can say they also got joined the establishment uh but yeah small players do become huge and um so i think it's coming from all angles it's definitely not going to be one player and sometimes the small players over 10 years become the dominant apple or google or facebook because they all started as startups you know 30 years ago or depending on which company you're looking at so so it's all over the place um there's opportunities for everyone but definitely it's not going to re- be replacing the the establishment quote unquote Yeah so that might be good news or bad news depending on your disposition but having said that you know we we love all to talk about web 3's bright shiny future yet at the same time we still live in this real world and until the metaverse comes along to take away all of our troubles and cares what do you think is hindering progress or mass adoption for this technology and for this way of thinking between where we are right now where it's you know more something that catches the headlines to a point where it is like that Starbucks example where it just becomes part of the seamless experience that companies offer uh to their users and their customers. Yeah, I think the biggest hindrance is probably greed and regulation and also greed causing regulation. So obviously having a lot of scams, 
um, in the in the marketplace, which is a there's a lot of scams, right, and a lot of hacks, a lot of dishonest people trying to grab money and run. That obviously hurts uh, the space tremendously because um, you know our the mainstream audience when they think about it, they they hear about the big news. Oh, wasn't wasn't just like two hundred million dollars being stolen, or there's a scam that happened, right? Isn't it just being used to buy like human parts and whatnot? So all that all that stuff. NFTs, like oh, uh, aren't NFTs a scam? And all. so there's all these stories out there that I think tremendously hinders uh, the industry, uh, both from an adaptation, but then the second part, regulation in general, of course, is is always slows down the industry about what is, what, what is regulation created for? It's created to protect people, right? And so when more and more people are getting scammed uh, and being hurt and they don't understand what's going on, they don't know any better, there's going to be more and more regulation coming in to try to protect people. And of course, that stops innovation. So I think those two things are a big issue. And then besides that, it's just more and more people care about human-focused design. It's not function-focused, even if the technology works, but you have to like, take 12 different steps using all these different tools and go to exchange, verify your bank account. That's the regulation part, right? Verify your bank account, buy your first crypto, transition it to your Solana, move your Solana to your different wallet. And then, oh, for this other one, you got to move it to your, to your, uh, to your MetaMask and then do all like all these steps just, just to get the NFTs and, and to keep them and to maintain and manage them. Um, import tokens. What does that mean? to your MetaMask, all that stuff is high friction. So I think it just requires people who are not just technologists, but people who understand human-focused design to make it seamless and delightful. Thank you, Kai. I'm going to ask you a final question before I open it up to the audience. I see there's a truckload of questions, but I'm also very mindful of time. We always run out of time. It's a sad fact of life. So I'm going to try to work in at least one. Uh, what is your philosophy about Web3 changing lives? My philosophy of Web3 changing lives. Um, so like I said, I think it is, so there's two aspects. There's, there's multiple aspects, actually. Uh, I think the obvious one people talk about a lot is the financial aspect. I do think this whole, this whole industry is not a fad, it's a trend, and it's trending upwards. So... Uh, people who do believe in putting their money that is going to be dominant and important in the future, uh, I think it would create opportunities. But of course, there are there are a lot of projects that are that just that's just too greed driven, and there's a lot of pitfalls and traps. So, but I think if you if you believe in the long term because of solid foundations. You look at their tokenomics, you look at what they stand for, you look at the community, are they there because they believe in it? And I think if you have investment into these projects, I think it would uh, financially change people's lives. Now, this is something people talk about. Now, I think the second one is about empowerment. I think it is about um, people being able to create a project that you know, can influence the entire industry and can be very well funded, not because you are begging VCs on every door and they may not see your vision. It's because you are exciting uh, the people you're trying to serve and, and uniting them in the same movement. Um, and I'm also a moderator and helper for a Miami conference coming up, um, the Miami Web3 Summit. 
and they have a theme about women empowerment. And in the weekly Twitter space, we talk about, you know, um, a lot of the most of the industries were kind of designed by men and then women joined them. But for Web3, there's a lot of women who are there at the get go. They're creating, designing it. And I think a lot of these, the women are very excited about uh, seeing a whole new dis- industry that that is also conceptualized, designed and created with men alongside women together. And they, they're really excited to see what kind of industry it will be, which leads to the third part, which is more of that community, uh, that community, because most Web2 projects, when you launch them, you, you first do a product development phase. And then once you do product development, then and you, it's always stealthy, right? You don't want anyone to know what you're doing. Then you launch and you do PR, you do social media. Um, but in Web3, it's community first. It's people form a community based on the idea, based on what they love, based on their passions. Uh, and this is why you have a lot of white paper driven communities and then the founders can execute and they, you know, sometimes they run away or whatnot. But that community is on day one. It's early. It bonds people together. There's a lot of projects where the the projects are are rug are rug pulled, but the community still wants to be together because they create a meaning for each other. Their lives have changed. They bond with people, and I think again, this is what our lives are about. It's about the the meaningful relations we have. It's about the purposeful things that we pursue together, and it's about the memories we leave behind. So, so I think from all these aspects, people's lives would change because of uh, what we're doing Web3. Brilliant. Yuka, I'm going to work in just at least one question. Uh, let me quickly see. Let me just pick a random one. So considering it will be homes, personal, sorry, considering it will be homes and personal experiences being shared, I presume this is on Metablocks. How will privacy be maintained while? Oh yeah, how, how will privacy be maintained while using MetaBlocks? Yeah, so we kind of initially we started off with just kind of the motto that hey, you know, first of all, the images are located to your entire block, and a block is sometimes in the real world like four or five blocks because we what we do is we turn a city into about two to five thousand unique blocks, and um, and sometimes. A large city, uh, one block is not "quote unquote" a world block. So, uh, the NFT name is called a blocks by the BLOX. Um, so it's not directly connected to your, you know, your exact address, but it's in that block. Um, but we do tell people that hey, if you don't want, because some some people have mentioned to us, hey, there are some things that I just I want to give it to my children, my grandchildren, but I don't want anyone else in the world to see it and. Uh, and so what we're doing, first of all, beforehand, we said, hey, if you don't want to be in a museum, don't don't share it on Metablogs. Because if anything, it's uh, a lot of stuff is, is public, right? The public ledger, whatnot. But we're also generally doing a public and private mode where you can have things in public, but also you can have... And the public ones generate um, resources for your NFT allows you to level up because it gives you what we call memory marks. So the public marking as either inspiring heartwarming, uh, enjoyable, or solemn. Uh, and that helps it level up. Or we can make it private, and so people cannot see it on our on our platform, and and you can just share it with those that you like. Um, recently, we've been really honing in on this one challenge about, okay, how do you share private memories to your loved ones only? Because for Instagram, we also, 
you know, we're talking about family values and we also don't like how Instagram uh, is focused on being popular to the world. And so we're trying to tackle the issue of how do you create something, you know, we're inspired, I think, partially by the Be Real app also about how do we create experiences that it's about purely about preservation and sharing to your close network. Like I take photos of my children I share to my parents. Uh, those don't need to be public. And so this is something I can't, we can't announce yet, but it's something that will, I think will be pretty exciting to solve that problem. And it's going to, uh, it's going to be like a, a wingman project for the, the Metablox NFTs. Um, so that's, that's something that will probably come out in a few months. It sounds very exciting and we are going to follow along with you and see what you guys are releasing publicly when the time comes. Thank you so much today for letting us peek under the hood of what makes you tick and what you're working on to unleash onto the NFT world. Very excited about this. And yes, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show today. I love geeking out about NFTs, but combining it with gamification and with memory, it's, yeah, it's uh, my, my day's made. So thank you so much, Yukai, for just joining us and for your time and your insights. And then audience, as always, thank you for giving us your time today. If you are as keen as I am to start breaking that monopoly that Google Photos and Dropbox and all of these, these uh, centralized organizations have on our memories and just all of our content, uh, be sure to check out Metablocks. You can start decentralizing your memory preservation by following the Twitter, Metablocks NFTs, and of course, Yukai's own Twitter, own Twitter uh, as well that he's using uh, today. And before we close, as promised, the results of the non-fungible talent season one is in. So entries came from as far afield as Africa, Asia, Europe, North America, South America. And I am delighted to announce the following winners. So it's very, very difficult announcing people's names via their Twitter handles. Let's see. In third place, Art of Rahul, who created a video time-lapse of a little boy dreaming of the moon uh, for one day when he's going to reach that moon. In second place, the Rixiv for Lumina Moon Princess. And in first place, Jay Palagbas to the moon. So guys, congratulations to all of you. In addition to the prize money that all of you will be receiving, the winning entries will also be minted as NFTs, and the artists are going to be joining us on a future episode to talk about their work. And in addition, keep, out, keep an eye out for other additional prizes that we will be announcing for other participants. In closing, a big, huge thank you to everyone who participated in the competition. We'll see you soon for season two. And in the meantime, catch you again next week for another episode of The Future of NFTs brought to you by Adlunum. And Yukai, once again, absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. And really looking forward to seeing what you are building with Metablocks. And yeah, we'll be walking that journey with you because I feel your pain about content getting lost and the centralized servers just walking away with all of your, I mean, it's not, it's not possessions in the traditional sense but i mean digital possessions are as much part of us as physical objects and i've been through this a couple of times where i've lost you know photos and just information that was really important to me 
And I think it's such an important topic to do something about this. Uh, so very delighted to hear that this is exactly what you are doing. And yeah, the best for the future. Thank you. Great pleasure to be here and uh, love what you're doing also with uh, everything here. Cheers, guys. Have a good day. You've been listening to the future of NFTs. Subscribe to this podcast on your favorite streaming platform like Spotify or iTunes. Connect with AdLunum on Twitter at AdLunum Inc. or our website, adlunum.cc.